Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. So we are three weeks into the new year, and I would like to ask you, how's yours going? If you, like me, spend some of your days feeling suffocated by the treadmill that is our chaotic days, I offer this book titled On Rising by today's guest, Deborah Johnson. Deborah's cookbook is like others that I feature on The Storied Recipe in that it actually defies classification. It is so much more than a cookbook. In fact, to me, reading all 240 pages of Deborah's book in one sitting was like unwrapping a series of small, beautifully wrapped, delightful gifts. Because as I turned each page, I really didn't know if I would be greeted with another recipe or a gorgeous image of which there are so many, or a personal and vulnerable essay, or an invitation to rethink my rituals, especially my morning rituals. And as Deborah says, to take responsibility for my thought life. There's one other thing that Deborah intersperses through the pages of her books, and that is a series of um, thought-provoking quotes, including this insightful conversation between those two great sages, Piglet and Pooh. And it goes like this. When you wake up in the morning, Pooh, said Piglet at last, what's the first thing you say to yourself? What's for breakfast, said Pooh. What do you say, Piglet? Oh, I say, I wonder what's going to happen exciting today, said Piglet. Pooh nodded thoughtfully. It's the same thing, he said. And you see, throughout the pages of On Rising, Deborah gently but ever so practically invites us to create mornings full of Piglet's peaceful wonder and excitement. And her invitation, no matter where you are in life, is so warm, empathetic, and absolutely actionable, I really think you'll find it difficult to turn down. But also, like Pooh, Deborah recognizes that food can be an essential part of creating Piglet's mornings full of excitement and wonder. So she offers us over 50 amazing recipes to nourish ourselves and our loved ones in the morning. And I tagged about 45 of those to try. So this is a cookbook unlike any other, and I am so thrilled to welcome you to this conversation today with Deborah. Thank you so much for being here. And we start the conversation by discussing uh, this interchange between Pooh and Piglet. Well, first of all, I just want to say I've almost never more deeply related to a fictional character than Pooh in his quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, and I, I think a lot of your listeners probably uh, find food um, just as celebratory and special as I do. So thank you for pointing out this quote. But um, yeah, I think the book was intended to be a celebration of breakfast and mornings as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a privilege and an arduous undertaking to write a cookbook, and I mm -hmm. wanted to make it as special and as beautiful and filled with details and fun as I could, which mm -hmm. is how it kind of evolved um, into a little bit more, um, with some emphasis on the lifestyle side. And as you saw, I included a lot of personal essays because mm -hmm. 
I wanted to include my heart and that's where mm. the, the essays were came in mm. so yeah my goal with the book was just to invite people to reimagine daily rituals and rhythms as mm -hmm. opportunities for joy mm -hmm. and connection and i think on the one hand this was a childhood dream mm -hmm. on the other hand writing it felt a little more urgent <laughs> as it became you know as mm -hmm. i advanced in adulthood because I noticed most of my peers considered cooking a dreaded chore mm -hmm. and it was just let's DoorDash, let's go out mm -hmm. and their daily routine I think felt somewhat draining and I mm -hmm. just wondered how can we reconnect in this modern world at this pace how can we reconnect with what's life-giving and beautiful mm -hmm. um, in these daily necessities. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, what's so interesting is I've already learned something about you, which is that you wanted to write a cookbook from the time that you were a child. And it's an, I mean, it's an amazing cookbook. Actually, you, <laughs> I wanted to tell you, I have always said I don't like breakfast food um, until I read your book yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, well, I would like 97% of these recipes. So I'm going to have to rethink that statement. I mean, really, I was flagging and flagging and flagging and flagging recipes that I want to try. And they're um, inventive and creative, but also approachable and felt very makeable, um, especially the way you um, have the instructions laid out. So, so it is a beautiful, uh, approachable, exciting breakfast cookbook, which is what you set out to do. But the reality, Deborah, is that even if you took all of the recipes and the cookbook aspect out of it, I really, truly believe that it would still be a book of great value um, mm. to your readers because you really do, like you said, invite us to reimagine the way our daily rituals for you it's in the morning and that's what you're sort of extolling in this book but reimagine the way that our daily rituals look and it calls us to a life of intention in a very um gentle and practical way um i mean really i was very impressed <laughs> Oh, that means with, so much to me, Becky. Yeah, it was so practical. Um, I mean, everybody can tell us like the morning should look this way, but sometimes it feels like we're being a little bit beaten down um, to, <laughs> yes. to hear that. But you really put it, made it so practical and um, mm -hmm. so thoughtful and invitational. And I appreciated that. So um, you say that your whole morning routine and ritual and intentional approach to the day, which has shifted into an intentional approach to life, was born from um, both the happiest times of your life and a period of intense grief. And I'm hoping we can go uh, a little bit into both of those. And of course, you'll limit to what you're comfortable sharing. But um, yes. is that okay if we do that a yeah. little bit? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So as, as the gateway <laughs> to the happiest time of your life, which I mean, the way you talk about your childhood is so glowing <laughs> and just, just so lovely. So let's start with one of the recipes um, I was intrigued by, but also, oh, this story was just wonderful. And this is your vegan corn pancake. So tell me, 
how this recipe was born and how does this relate to that really happy time in your life? Sure. So my mom, every single Saturday, without fail, it was a family tradition that she would make stacks upon stacks of corn pancakes for us. And, you know, I think traditions like those become part of the fabric of your family Mm -hmm. life. We just look forward to it so much. I think I wanted to honor my mom in this cookbook. She's been such a such a huge inspiration to me in my life. And now she's vegan. So I had to make these corn pancakes vegan. (laughs) Yes. What your mom is a pretty uh, (laughs) outstanding woman. And I'm going to read a quote about her in a moment. But I am curious, what when did she choose to go vegan? And what was the thought process behind that? Um, About 10 years ago, Mm. and just stewarding her health as as well as possible. Her and Mm. my dad both made that decision. And wow, uh, wow, it does make us sad to not have our favorite foods when we go home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy that they're they're working hard to stay healthy. Well, it's a testament to your unity as a family that you were willing to adjust, you know, so many recipes in the book and in your life to accommodate that lifestyle. You know, not every family is willing to do that for each other. And that's another thing that's shown through in your book and we'll talk about in a minute was the way that you guys are really there for each other. But let's talk about your mom for a second. So you say this, and and actually you say this in the introduction to these corn pancakes, you say, despite working full-time as a doctor, raising four rambunctious children and having a house constantly filled with visitors, literally she would serve meals to more than a hundred guests at a time in our backyard with a relaxed smile on her face. She made time for many home-cooked family traditions. Corn pancakes might have been my favorite. So... (laughs) This is almost, I think, for so many women hearing that, it's it's almost, I, I, the word repel is too strong, but you almost are like, oh, I, that feels, <laughs> that feels, I feel like the shame just kind of rolling down on my shoulders, oh, but no. I'm sure that's not how your mom is as a person and how she wasn't as a mom. So describe your relationship to your mom. Yes. Well, first, can I, can I give you a little background? Please, please. And then I'd love to tell um, about our relationship. So my mom, uh, she was born a three pounds little baby. She was um, kept in a shoebox. She um, was one of 12, born in Coahuila, Mexico. And her family, um, you know, lawfully immigrated to America Mm. when she was four years old Mm. and obviously didn't have a ton of opportunities. So they worked as migrant farm workers, but her parents made my, my grandparents really emphasized. You can do anything you want. You just need to get an education. We don't want you doing this your whole life. The sky's Mm. the limit but you need an education. So education was just such a huge part mm-hmm. of the fabric of that family. And mm. um, she, she actually, and there's like a play about this. Anyway, she actually was, um, you know, they lived in, in the South Texas and mm. she was actually one of four student leaders who helped. They, they got some legislation passed because they organized um, a boycott to stand up for, um, the rights of Mexican-American students in their little town. Wow. And yeah, so she's, she was just an amazing 
women, but I think what's emblematic of why they felt the need to um, stand up for their rights mm -hmm. is when she when she told her school counselor, um, again, because of her congenital heart defect, she thought she was gonna die any day. That's what she was always told. And she was like, well, if I'm not gonna live that long, I wanna help people, I'll be a doctor. She wow. told her school counselor and they were like, well, sweetie, maybe you can try to be a teacher instead. Because mm. as, as a Mexican American woman, you know, in the 50s and 60s, being a doctor was not, not an easy ask, mm. but she became a very successful physician, has changed so many people's lives along, along the way. And as, uh, as you alluded to, I think there is a big uh, weight Mm. On on me as a daughter, the way of uh, yeah. ad admiring that legacy. Yeah, like who can live up to that, right? <laughs> yes, and like she is actual superwoman. Like when I described right. having hundreds of people over, and she still does that. She's seventy five. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm really, truly not exaggerating. That's yeah. just. Um, oh, I believe you. Yeah. Who who she who she is, mm. and I think. Um, having watched her incredible trajectory, how and and how hard my parents worked. My dad also kind of grew up in a very tough situation. And mm. um, how 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 could I, who they fought so hard to give me opportunities, to mm. say, well, I guess I'll just you know be a middle manager for the rest of my mm. life, and that's the best I can do. So um, I think. When you ask about my relationship with my mom, I think in in writing this cookbook, mm -hmm. I think in any decision we make, right? There's 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 the surface layer, right? So mm -hmm. my my known acknowledged goal is mm -hmm. I really wanted to help my peers fall in love with the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Deeper than that, I wanted to write a story for myself where I I really gave something my all. Mm. Um, following the pattern of my mom, where if mm. I had a goal, I really gave my all to achieving it. Mm. And that's what this book was. And it felt so good <laughs> to, mm. to just really go for something that I cared about deeply, mm. which was hard for me to feel like I was doing when I was just working in corporate mm. America. But mm. then my deepest goal, which mm -hmm. I didn't realize until after the cookbook was mm. <laughs> written, was um, I just wanted my mom to be proud of me, mm. you know, and after I finished writing the cookbook, I was invited to be a, a guest chef at a brunch pop-up and I, each dish I created was crafted to tell a story. And one was representative of my mom and my dad. So I called my mom and, Hey mom, what fruits did you guys pick when you were on the migrant farm trail? Cause I'm going to be a chef at this pop-up mm. and I'm so excited. And she's not an effusive person, which is not a criticism. That's just mm -hmm, not who mm -hmm. she is. Yeah, just acknowledgement. We're all yeah, different. So mm -hmm. She goes, mm -hmm. okay. And which was, again, the same response when I showed her, mom, I wrote a cookbook. Mm. Here's my cookbook. And her response was, hmm, okay. Mm. And as she said that, I was standing there in the kitchen, <laughs> mm. cooking my red fruit coulis that represented her. Mm. And I just started bawling because it was the first time I realized that at my deepest core, that's all I was looking for mm. was just for her to say, I'm so proud of you, sweetie, you know? Wow. And since then, 
I feel like I've gotten a lot of growth and healing from wrestling that, mm. wrestling with that and realizing I didn't need to write a cookbook for her to be proud mm. of me. <laughs> She's been proud of me, you know, mm-hmm. as you can probably relate as a, as a mom, you know, Mm. I think she's been proud of me since I was born, yeah. you know, um, but it, you can't receive others mm. pride or love unless mm. that's how you feel about yourself, you know? Mm. But I and, think it's so good, like you said, to hear as a mother, and it's something I'm mindful of because of my particular personality and my particular needs. But as often as I tell my kids, I love them. They, they they need to hear equally as often I'm so proud of you mm, they're so they're so blessed to <laughs> to have have that affirmation mm. and and just sorry to I, I feel like I should say afterwards I realized because after that point she did verbalize she was proud of me mm. Mm. oh <laughs> yes so I yes just want to, I would just want to say <laughs> I she, I understand yes you you she, it, yeah, doing this actually came, you You were able to finally come to the conclusion that she had been proud of you all along. Yes, and she did verbalize it, mm. but I realized the, the value in this exercise was not hearing it or not, mm. but getting to a place where I could feel that and receive that regardless mm. of the, the statement. <laughs> mm. Mm. So it sounds like um, tied up in this idea of your mom being proud of you was that you are proud of her and her heritage and your parents, the difficulties from which they came and what they accomplished. So tell me other ways that your um, Mexican heritage was celebrated and observed in your childhood. Yes. Well, I'm part of a very tight knit Mexican family that mm. I, I wish everyone could just, you know, have the experience of being a Trevino even just for a couple of weeks mm. because it's, it's so, um, it's just so sweet having Trevor calls us a wolf pack. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> because, <laughs> because if like, you just know you have a lot of people who have your back and would do anything for you. Mm. which I think is, is very special for an extended family. But yeah, mm. we have a hundred of us in mm-hmm. the immediate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, immediate your mom's circle. one of 13. Yeah. Uh, extended family. And, um, and I would say that food is obviously a huge part of the culture and our gatherings is, you know, we sit and talk and eat and then sit and talk and eat. Mm. And that <laughs> has been so fun. Um, as you can imagine for my, <laughs> for my, uh, my specific personality, um, mm. to, to, to get to learn and enjoy, um, that, that kind, those kinds of gatherings. Um, but I'd say also, um, I've spoken to many Mexican Americans who have a little bit of a feeling of shame mm. about their heritage, having experienced racism. Mm. And I feel very lucky that I was raised with so much pride in our Mexican heritage mm. and having seen what, I mean, <laughs> my mom is one doctor, but you should see all the rest of her siblings as well. Wow. You know, 
um, just incredible leaders and, you know, mm. doctors, lawyers, uh, PhDs, deans, mm. just they have made such incredible contributions to their communities and to their families. And um, yeah, mm. I'm, I'm very, very proud of my Hispanic heritage and my mm. family. As you should be. I'd love to hear that. Just continuing on on this, one of the recipes we talked about using um, was these uh, homemade tortillas. And it sounds like you had massive gatherings and that you would work on these together, which has got to be such a bright, bright memory. Tell me about those times. Yeah, making tortillas. Yes, it's such a fun group activity that we definitely engaged in as a family. My few at Mambo's uh, flour tortillas are the most famous. <laughs> mm. But the reason I was so excited about this recipe is because if you want to pick any recipe from the book where you will just blow people's minds and level up your home cooking, <laughs> I think if you have your regular Taco Tuesday with homemade flour tortillas, boy, the excitement on everyone's face. <laughs> It just takes things to the next level, mm. you know? It's such a comfort. It's just such a delicious comfort food and so simple. Yeah. Um, it's a I showstopper think, to say, oh, I made these tortillas myself. Yes. And like bread, um, the, the ROI is so high. Mm. <laughs> like it doesn't take that much effort to get such a, you know, awesome product. And um, mm. that's obviously a lot better for you than what you would buy in a bag at the store. Mm. Um, but also just a joy to make and a joy to eat. And mm. a, a story that I include, um, in the book is like I said, my mom, she, she's a go-getter. Mm -hmm. She wasn't like the, the most, um, doting mother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but when I was sick, she would bring me flour tortillas with butter mm. spread on them and then wrapped into a tight little tight little roll and that's what her mom did for her when she was sick mm. and that was just the most cherishing mm. memory it just felt like mm. love embodied which is yes my whole approach to food and really an emphasis of the book so it uh, um, it absolutely is that comes through um very clearly very clearly now it wasn't just your mom who would care for you you were the youngest of the four right yes Yes. And it sounds like your sisters and brothers. Tell me, what's the breakdown? You have two sisters and a brother? Two brothers and a sister. Two brothers and a sister. Okay. So they they look out for you, I'm sure, yes. in their own ways. Um, <laughs> they do. <laughs> but you also tell just a little, like a, such a delightful story of your older sister cooking for you. You kind of fended for yourself and you liked cooking. There was nothing wrong with it. But there was a day that your sister said, I'm going to cook for you today. And it was, um, Mm, what a feeling of um, belonging and security that you yeah. expressed in that story. But <laughs> it sounds like you loved to cook from very, very, very young. So with so many people there to care for you, your mom, your dad, you talk about the things your dad made, um, your older siblings. How did it happen that you became such an accomplished cook and even had this? This is amazing. You had a vision to write a cookbook young. How did that come yes. about? Okay, so as I've referenced, my parents are incredibly hospitable people. Mm. If 
if they met someone who could use any type of care, that person mm. was immediately invited over for dinner. Mm. Um, but my parents are both physicians and mm. were very busy. So yeah. it came to be, and I'm the youngest. Yeah. My older siblings were, when I was, you know, in my single digit years, they mm. were busy socializing. Mm-hmm, they were, you know, mm-hmm. off with their friends. And my oldest brother was a basketball coach. Mm. to a team my next brother was on that basketball team so our garage became the gathering place for this big basketball wow so there's two factors at play is that we always had a whole basketball team over at our house after school and then my parents were always inviting people over but they wouldn't necessarily get home in time to make the dinner for them so Mm. I would get a call from my mom um, who was chief of her department at the time. And she's like, sweetie, we have some people coming over for dinner, but I'm not going to make it home till seven. Do you think you could do something? And so wow. I got kind of tossed into the deep end to my great benefit. Um, really wow. And you were what, seven, eight, nine? Yeah. Exactly. Wow. And I think to me, the biggest takeaway as hopefully a future mother is giving your kids freedom and responsibility yes. in the kitchen is yes. such a big deal. Yes, I feel so strongly about this. I feel that one of the things we've lost in, you know, I think as the generations have gone on, we've become more mindful of caring for our kids and being present for kids. But, and that's a good thing, but the downside mm-hmm. is responsibility oh. equals empowerment. Mm-hmm. It just does. And I truly, truly believe <laughs> And our society and our American society, um, probably as you especially move up economic, um, socioeconomic um, statuses, we have just taken too much responsibility away from our kids. And it's not a gift. We are robbing them of that Mm -hmm. feeling of empowerment, of skills and Oh, I can only imagine the pride that your mom felt in you going back to our earlier conversation when Aww. she came home at seven and you had a meal on the table for 40 people. I, this is unbelievable. And you loved it. The point is you loved it. I loved it. And I fell in love with the smiles around the face, uh, around oh. the table on everyone's faces. Wow. I will say if you're looking to build confidence in the kitchen, cooking for a high school basketball team is a very easy win. Mm. <laughs> And that's the key point I want to tell people when it comes to cooking, Mm. because I think people have one or two flops and kind of just label Mm. themselves. Oh, I'm not, I'm not a great cook, Mm. but that's the nature of skills. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, they all take practice as, you know, communities and family units just really encourage each other and Mm -hmm. foster, foster those attempts instead of criticizing. Right. Um, then I think the end result is built up confidence over time because Uh, I'm sure, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm just agreeing with you completely. Please keep going. I'm sure my fettuccine Alfredo when I was eight was not that great, but just seeing everyone enjoy it Mm -hmm. so much made me realize it's not really about Mm -hmm. the level of the cuisine. It's about, it's, it's communion. It's sharing. I made this for you. It's I I love you. Sit here at my table. There's a place for you at my table. Um, Listen, it's a basic thing, but they were hungry and you fed them. I mean, it's 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 a very basic. I always say I always use the word primal 
And there's a yeah. there's a primal response when that primal need is met. And it's one of love and affection and appreciation. Yes, yes. Mm. And so seeing those smiles, I was hooked. I was like, oh, wow, cooking is magic. Um, mm. And so on my weekends and after school, I began teaching myself to cook with cookbooks. Mm. And like I said, I just fell in love with these cookbook authors. They became my heroes. And I would trying these recipes became my hobby. (laughs) You know, I, Mm -hmm. I remember being, you know, very young, probably eight or nine and telling my siblings with so much pride on a weekend, guys, this weekend, I'm making you bake nuts. (laughs) (laughs) And then they finally looked at the recipe after I served them these beignets and they're like, (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing. You were making dishes before you could even pronounce them. That's incredible. I had no way to contextualize these Mm. beignets, but um, yeah, it was just, it was so fun to have the room to experiment. And Mm. I, because cookbooks have introduced me to so much joy over the course of my life, there was just that, that seed planted of like, oh, what Mm. if I could do this someday, you know, Mm. share, share. And now you've done it. Amazing. (laughs) And now you've done it. So I mean, again, you're just creating such a ideal, a, a picture of an ideal childhood, which again, it doesn't mean that you were, like you said, doted on. Um, you certainly weren't, you know, served right. <laughs> and you didn't have a silver spoon in your mouth or any of those things. Part of what was such a great childhood is that you were empowered and that you were giving to others even so mm-hmm. young. But I don't want to leave your dad out here because mm-hmm. I kind of fell in love with your dad a little bit mm-hmm. in this book as well. And um, you say listening is the greatest act of hospitality, which is an incredible thing for a cook to say because <laughs> that that's an inc- I, I just want to pause and note that you're acknowledging that with all of the time and effort and skill and experience that you put into your cooking, there is still something greater when it comes to hospitality, which is a very powerful thing for a cook to say. Wow. And you learned this from your father. So tell us about your father who taught you that. How did he teach you this? And, you know, is there anything else he taught you that you'd like to share? Well, if you fell in love with him in the book, (laughs) I I so wish you could read him because every person that meets him has that same response. Mm. Anywhere I've gone in the world where people know him, they're like, wow, talking to your dad changed my life. And it's because he is willing to be so present Mm. with the people that he's with and just so Mm. loving. I mean, he just walks around and it's just like, love embodied Mm, wow I'm I'm not I I I don't I'm not exaggerating and that's how I feel and have Mm. always felt about my dad's presence it's he's he's very very special but I think he took the lead to model that um when we were when we were growing up up Mm -hmm. not just to us but to the constant stream Mm. of strangers coming in and out of our house that if I'm being totally transparent, I would be quick to judge and be like, mm. wait, who's that person? Why are they mm. here? But my to my dad, everybody was just so worthy of honor and wow. um and mm. and attention. And mm. what's interesting is so now my husband is 
a physician as well. Mm. It's it's a, a <laughs> common family. Yes. <laughs> I guess. But <clears throat> he's been discovering in his practice is that it's like listening is the single most powerful thing that mm. I can do in that hospital mm-hmm. because it's healing. It's it's mm-hmm. more healing than what I can prescribe mm-hmm. is we all just want someone to sit down with us, even just for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and just hear what's in the depths of our heart. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's definitely something that I'm grateful to have seen from my dad. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Do you mind sharing the story about the, um, the mornings and I don't remember what recipe it went with. Oh yeah. I, it was just an essay, but yeah, my, mm-hmm. my dad was, um, very hands-on and helpful because obviously him and my mom were both super busy. Um, yeah. But he was in charge of waking us up in the morning. He would sing good morning to you. <laughs> very off key every time. <laughs> um, I think it was, he was trying to make it so bad that we'd have to get out of bed. To make it <laughs> um and he would, uh, yeah, make us a stack of toast and some General Mills oatmeal. Again, nothing fancy, mm-hmm. but he would just sit. He would lead us all in a devotional. And mm-hmm. every every breakfast and every dinner, my parents made a point that we were all going to sit together around the table. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no devices, but that might be just <laughs> mm, the time. There, there weren't really devices to, mm-hmm. to be had. Um, but, uh, sit around the table and talk. And he went around to each one of us and asked, Mm. you know, about our hopes, our goals, our dreams, what was hard. Mm. And I think, uh, one of the questions you had sent across earlier was about me being an action taker. And I think, Mm. uh, I think that comes from my dad and those conversations and him really inviting us to live a thoughtful life. Yeah. And not live in autopilot, you know? Right. Right. Well, that's, and that's exactly where I want to go next is that um, this is such a gentle book um, in the words, in the um, attitude, the images, which are lovely. It's such a gentle book, but underneath there is this core of substance that is very attractive and the substance is this message of like do not allow yourself to get stuck Mm -hmm. get yourself unstuck and you're responsible for that (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. a lot of that and 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 again it's delivered so gently you can almost um miss what a sort of like firm and stern and actionable calling that is, you know? (laughs) And um, you say that this aspect of the book, which again, it's integrated so well, it's not like there's part A and part B, but this aspect of the book about ritual and routine and using ritual and routine as a way to get yourself unstuck. You say that that came, um, we see now for sure, from your childhood, from your parents who sort of refused to be stuck in even the most difficult of circumstances. But for you, this lesson came alive and it's something you chose to put onto act, put into action um, when you went through the most difficult 
time of your life. So um, what are you willing to share about that time? And tell us how the power of morning ritual, I almost want to say rescued you in that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, yeah, I, I was in my late twenties and I was in a marriage that was failing. And so Mm -hmm. at the time I had a great, but very demanding job. So Mm -hmm. I would, you know, wake up, (laughs) brush my teeth, rush to the car Mm -hmm. with coffee to go and do my, I was living in Southern California at the time. Mm -hmm. So to contextualize, do the hour commute um, and just be weeping Wow! (laughs) and then work, go to Mm -hmm. my car during lunch break and weep and then Mm -hmm. uh, finish the day um, often pretty late because I was very committed to my job Mm -hmm. and drive home weeping Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then spend the rest of the day just trying to, um, make things okay. (laughs) Mm. And I just realized (laughs) nobody's Mm. gonna come and save me. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, you know, I, I looked around, life looked nothing like I had expected or wanted. But Mm. I knew, if I'm gonna get through this in any way, I have to learn, I have to Mm. learn the skills to take care of myself. So I can Mm. navigate through this with at least a shrivel, you know, a shred of grace. Um, mm-hmm. And the only little sliver available was a time I hadn't, <laughs> I didn't yet have, which was mm. early mornings. That was the one time I figured, um, mm. you know, if I wake up an hour earlier than I need to, what if I can spend just a few moments breathing mm. deeply outside? taking Mm -hmm. care of like my mental health by going on a walk, Mm -hmm. reading something that I find nourishing. Like I I realized I just, I needed a lifeline and I needed Mm -hmm. to in a sense throw it to myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so kind of out of desperation. And I mentioned this in the book, I have Mm -hmm. very much sympathy with people who are not morning people because Mm -hmm. I was a morning person. There was Mm -hmm. nothing appealing about, you know, um, rising earlier other than I didn't feel like I had a choice um Mm. as you know our days can get so busy and there's demands in so many directions Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. work and just so many things you have to do yeah but then then you have an empty cup that you can't pour out of Mm -hmm. and and we that's that's not a fun way to engage in life so Mm -hmm. um engage with life so um coming back to personal responsibility uh Mm-hmm. You know, I hear people say, oh, I want to be a morning person, but I just can't. And mm. I, I, I understand, mm-hmm. but I think a principle in life is we have to make choices and just, mm-hmm. and just follow through. Mm-hmm. And to me, every morning when I take the time to nourish myself, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. tenderly care for myself in the morning before I start my day, mm-hmm. not, not selfishly. Mm-hmm. But so that I can move through my day with grace and love and care for the people I, you know, in, in the way that I want and for the people mm-hmm. around me. Um, every day that I do that, I'm I'm casting a vote for that version of life. And I'm, mm. I'm showing myself 
I will show up for you. <laughs> You're not mm. alone. You know, I'm, I'm here. I will take care of you. You know, mm -hmm. I think at certain parts of our life, we expect, you know, to be cared for. And that's not always the case. And so we mm -hmm. have to learn how to take care mm -hmm. of ourselves. Mm -hmm. mm. This daily act on that. Yeah, it's interesting. You said at some point, um, essentially that this is your opportunity to consciously craft a life that aligns with your values and goals. What do you think the connection between a morning routine and crafting a life that, what's the connection there? Mm. I think the mornings hold this beautiful opportunity mm -hmm. to reflect and live with intention Mm -hmm. and consciousness and mm -hmm. um I, again because of the pace of life today mm -hmm. and the demands and the have to's and i think especially as women it's very easy to be constantly trying to take care of everybody mm -hmm. else <laughs> without pausing um to check if how we're spending our time is aligned with our values and our mm -hmm. goals so for me again i think for everybody <laughs> mm. at certain seasons of life all your hours of the day are fully committed. There's right. not like room for pursuing your goals. Right. But could I spend an hour in the morning working towards them? Mm -hmm. And an hour every day added up mm -hmm. is, is a cookbook or is a dream right. accomplished. You know, fill in the blank of whatever it is that that is um, you know, what's on the sidelines for you or that that yeah. goal or dream you never could get to. Um, I think there, there isn't an excuse. Like we, right. we have the time, you know, sure. Mm. You might have less time to use on your cell phone later, or, uh, you know, you'll have to adjust your night schedule, but we can, mm -hmm. we can take the time to both reflect and pursue what matters to us and make mm. sure that how we're living is aligned with that. Mm. Yeah. Two thoughts in response to that. Um, one, just in terms of how little little things add up. Um, I've had a guest on the podcast. Her name is Shauna Lawless. She's a fiction writer from Ireland. I literally just grabbed her um, book. It's a book sort of like reimagining a, a Irish myth. Um, and it ties that together with some Irish history. It's just, it was just like a fascinating novel. I read it in two nights, you know, and I was like, Amazing. I want to talk to this person as long as she has a recipe, I'll talk to her, you know? <laughs> and um, so much of our conversation had to do with uh, not just Irish mythology and history, but also how she came to be a writer. And she and her husband talked about this and she said, what if every other night I didn't do the bedtime routine with my kids. I mean, we're talking about such a small amount of time reclaimed mm -hmm. that ultimately changed her life into she is now a full-time writer. And wow. the third book of her of this trilogy is coming out along with another um, work of hers. And so to me, I struggle to believe that. Um, but it is the case. And there are people all around us. And she didn't sacrifice. She didn't all of a sudden turn into someone who could exist on five hours of sleep. She right. made that one practical change, just like you made one practical change. And the second thing that I want to say in response to um, what you just explained is that um, 
before we can craft a life that aligns with our values and goals, we have to imagine a Mm -hmm. life that aligns with our values and goals. And it takes time to imagine. Mm -hmm. And one thing, again, that I so appreciated about your book is that you even have prompts in there to help us to imagine. So sometimes Mm -hmm. we're just walking around with this idea of, I'm not happy. (laughs) Right. And Mm -hmm. we're generally blaming everybody else for it. And there's so many times, I know we've all had conversations with those people and we've been the people in these conversations that you start trying to say, well, how about, no, it won't work. It won't work. It won't work. It won't work. Well, something's Mm got to work, right? But it takes time to imagine what that can be. It takes time to problem solve. And what I love that you did is you gave us like, let's just start with that. And then you gave us a again, really practical questions and prompts and things to consider to just imagine that life, um, which is such a powerful thing. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, I love that. I think that that is the first step is how, how, how could my life be different with one hour a day of just any, like the the sky's the limit, you know, Mm. I think to your point about that, you know, that season of my life, when this all started, that hour of the day looked like nothing fancy. It literally looked like breathing, you know? Mm. Um, it, it wasn't, oh, let, let me, you know, dreamcast. No, mm. sometimes you're just breathing and just mm. giving your brain a time to process and sit mm-hmm. and do its thing, you know? Mm. Sometimes that's the most loving way you can spend your morning. And of course, other times, that you know that that can evolve according to what you need but you're you're absolutely right that i think i think step 1 is what what could be mm. i'd like to get into some of the practicals um yes of of mornings and routines and rituals and um the first thing is you mentioned um that when you first started this, it was almost like (laughs) you just sort of intuitively knew that you had to do this, but you had no idea of the ways that it could Mm -hmm. look or what it would be. And you said you just started with breathing. You just started Mm -hmm. with like, again, this hunch of Mm -hmm. if I change this, something will change. Mm -hmm. Tell us how it evolved from there and the different iterations maybe of morning routines that you've had through different phases of your life and um, what you found is, is um, maybe a constant through all of them or, or even if there's not. Um, yes. But what different morning routines could look like and yes. have looked like for you. Yes. And I, I love that question mm. so much, Becky, because I think like with most, uh, with most habits, flexibility is so important. I think mm-hmm. we set ourselves up for failure when it's like with rigidity and it has to look like this way every day, every day mm. I'm going to do deep breathing and then go work out <laughs> and then I'm going to go watercolor and then I'm going to, you know, that's not real life. And so then if we don't do it and think, oh, well, like I said, I'm not a morning person. We're setting mm. ourselves up for just, you know, tough, tough times. And, right. Right. <laughs> uh, I have, I have some friends who, bought the book and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm so excited, uh, you know, to, to start morning routines, but you know, I just had a baby and it's mm. so hard. And my answer is sweetie, then you need to sleep. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. 
some, you know, I think the question to ask is how can I be loving to myself with mm. this time? And mm. some mornings, the honest answer is going to be sleep. Mm. Some seasons of life, it may be your only window to take care of your body exercise or your soul and, you know, pursue this dream or do a hobby. It will change. Um, it will, it will change over the course of each day and over the course mm. of life. But I think, yeah, leaving room for flexibility and just tuning into what you need, mm-hmm. being willing to adjust is, is so important. Um, right. So yeah, at the beginning, I had to bribe myself awake with, I bought a little Nespresso and I was like, oh, this is so fancy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I can't wait. I will have good coffee and Mm. um, that will be my reward for getting myself out of bed. And I, you know, would just, I lived next to a park and I would just stand outside with my coffee with the sun, you know, shining on my face and I would just breathe. Wow. And that was so life-giving to me it was what I needed you know like I I will make it through this Mm. I I like there will be life at the end of the tunnel when all I could see in my future was black you know Mm. and then um you know I I moved to St. Louis and Mm -hmm. I was living in my sister's guest bedroom and Mm -hmm. I had a lot of things to grapple with. I felt a lot of shame and failure for Mm -hmm. being uh, divorced and young and, you know, wrestling with what's what's wrong with me that this Mm -hmm. happened. And so morning routine was just walking and just giving my brain like the the space Mm -hmm. to grapple with these, these things. Um, And that, I can't tell you, Becky, how much healing happened in that time. Mm. That just, there's nothing fancy. I was just mm-hmm. walking around a neighborhood, but mm-hmm. that was such a healing season of life. Mm. Um, and then, you know, as things stabilized and I was living my, you know, corporate America, at least at my job, you didn't really have to start till eight. And I was waking mm. up pretty early. <laughs> mm. Once you get hooked on the early morning time and mm. no one else is awake, it's, it's very easy for that to grow and mm. for you to care to prioritize that, which of course takes adjustments at night and stuff. But mm. by then I was regularly waking up at five. So I had three whole hours to mm. just do whatever I want. Mm. And um, so I would, you know, paint and read for pleasure and wow. do my little exercise. And it was, you know, wow. just like a time for human flourishing. Mm. Um And then over the past two years, my priority has been this book and it Mm -hmm. meant meant so much to me and mattered so much to me for me to give Mm -hmm. it my best. And Mm -hmm. creatively, I feel so fresh in the mornings. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the first thing I do, no matter what, throughout all those seasons is just spend some time with God because that is what's most life-giving to me. Mm -hmm. But then after that, immediately now, I go work and I just spend, you know, I set a Mm -hmm. alarm and I spend two hours and I, I just give this my best, um, Mm. whether it's writing or, you know, there's obviously so many to do's. Um, and so, but that's because work really matters to me right now. Mm. And Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm, can't mm -hmm. wait until that season changes and we'll see what happens next. But yeah, that's Mm. kind of the trajectory of morning times for me. Mm. And I do, again, just really appreciate how different each of those were. And Mm -hmm. that I I think it's just so important (laughs) um, for 
people listening to understand there's no formula to this. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. The idea, like you said, is to give yourself a gift and you have to start by asking yourself, okay, what do I want? What do mm -hmm. I want? And, mm -hmm. um, mm, and again, just like you said, the power of things being simple, a simple mm -hmm. walk in the morning, man, that's been a lifeline for me for many years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I think I've, I've talked to so many people who are like, oh, I have this dream, but there's just no way I can do it. Mm. And uh, that's definitely how I felt about this book. I was mm. scared to death, <laughs> scared mm. to death. My biggest barrier to entry was what if I fail? You know, mm -hmm. it, that's, it feels, I think that's always the biggest barrier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It feels so daunting, mm -hmm. but honestly, having done it mm. and, um, I, I have to, yeah, just, celebrate it's a little bit every day mm. over a long course and you'll get there you know mm -hmm. that's right that's right that's right that's right yeah things don't yeah. have to happen on a timetable yes well you're rewarding yourself along the way <laughs> right 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 well and what you're doing is you're setting yourself up i mean it's such a cliche and it's so cheesy but it's also so true you're setting yourself up to enjoy the journey by carving mm -hmm. space out for yourself, what you're saying is I'm going to enjoy the process of creating this because I have mm -hmm. time to do it. I'm not mm -hmm. jamming it in in a mm -hmm. place where it doesn't really fit and pounding it down with a hammer. Mm -hmm. You're you're giving mm -hmm. yourself the gift of of space to do it. And um, I think with that, mm, you know, I, I struggle with this, but comes a little bit more of acceptance of like, well, I made progress today. I moved the needle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. yes. so, um, you mentioned your friend with that read the book with, um, a new baby mm -hmm. and, you know, there's shift workers who are listening to this, you know, you have certainly seen your husband go through medical school and the crazy shifts. So what would you say to people for whom, you know, the actual hours of morning or sunrise, it's, it's, it's not um, that is not a doable. Yes. That is not a doable set of hours for them now. How can they apply your book? How can they sort of respond to the invitations that you put out? And what can they do to sort of simulate the experience of being up in the early morning and to benefit, you know, reap the benefits of these rituals that you, yes. that you talk about, which can change? Yes. Yes, I would say, you know, I had to pick a starting point when mm. writing this book. So I picked mornings, mm -hmm. but in an ideal world, I hope to write more books. Mm. <laughs> they won't be on mornings. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying the morning is the, the be all and end all. Right. You're not ap uh, applying a moral value to mornings. You're yes. sharing what worked for you, but you're yes. not. Yeah. And I appreciate that's really clear, I feel, in the book. Oh, good. But I think just taking the time and giving yourself permission. I, mm. I increasingly love this word. Give yourself permission to live thoughtfully, mm -hmm. to be tender with yourself mm. and find a window, whatever it looks like to fill your cup because mm -hmm. you, you matter. And mm -hmm. to me, this was something I have only, and I'm still learning. I don't, I don't intuitively feel this way, you know, mm -hmm. but learning to give myself that permission is so have been so empowering. And 
has been so empowering. And if, if you're a parent, maybe that's, that's nap time. I definitely don't want anyone to read this book. It's a parent and be mm. like, what? There's no way I can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's true. You know, like this is maybe not the season for, for morning times, but maybe nap times, maybe, mm. you know, I think the principle is what matters. My husband works 24 hour shifts. Mm. Um, so very often he'll have to shift his rising routine to sunset. Mm-hmm. And like I was telling you earlier, we sit together in the mornings when we can and drink our coffee and read. Mm. But on those days, we have a cocktail mm. <laughs> by the fire instead, and mm. you know, do roughly the same thing. But it's 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 at sunset. Um, mm-hmm. I I feel like with effort and intentionality, and of course with help and support from people around you, there are ways to still achieve that same end. Yes, I think what you're really telling us is make margin. And Mm -hmm. that's where the personal responsibility comes in. Like, yes, you might have to change something to do it, but make margin because again, it's only with the margin that you can, you can, you, you said in another spot and I loved this, identify the pain points. And again, Mm -hmm. you gave us sort of great questions to ask yourself to identify pain points. And again, without the margin, you just keep going in this life that is not again, aligned with your life and goals. And so Mm -hmm. I appreciated that, that you just, that's really what you're calling us to do is Mm -hmm. force margin into your life and make, make the tough calls to do it. It Mm -hmm. for you it's not like it's easy to get up at five, right? I mm-hmm, mean, so it is mm-hmm. going to take some level of sacrifice, but there are some sacrifices that are impossible. And in that case, find a different one, you know, right, um, right. such a mm-hmm. great balance. I feel you present of sort of like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that. So, um, this, this is just, <laughs> it's something everybody knows, but I think it's just good for us to hear over and over again, wherever we make that sacrifice to give ourselves margin. It's like we have to sacrifice to gift ourselves, right? Which is sort Mm -hmm. of ironic, but very true. Um, Mm -hmm. Making it all work has to do with you have some sort of strict rules for yourself about your phone. (laughs) And I think that I, I want all of us who break our own rules about phones all the time and super guilty as charged there to like lay aside the feelings of guilt and defensiveness and really just listen again to the pitch. I, everybody's making it all the time, but I don't think I think we've got to heat it. Let's 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 hear your pitch on being a little stricter with our phones. <laughs> well, rather than pitch, I will invite you to an experiment mm. that tonight when you go to bed. I love that. Put your phone in another room, charge it in another room. And when you wake up, spend, spend time to do Mm -hmm. what you want to do, what will nourish you Mm -hmm. before you get out your phone. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's an hour or two before I'll look at my phone and Mm -hmm. literally just give yourself that space to be and think and enjoy life Mm -hmm. for what it is, phoneless and then just reflect on that experience and you can decide if, if you would like to adopt some stricter rules for phone use. Uh, mm. For me, since I started I doing that. that, it is amazing. Mm. I, I'm honestly a little devastated about how, how different uh, or just having my phone with me makes my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like I said, I've been really focusing on creative work in the morning and mm-hmm. wow, before I get out of my phone, 
it's just like going and juicing and mm. going so like I, it's just flowing I'm like mm. there's there's so much freshness um mm. in my inner life and my thought life mm. and the second I bring out my phone mm. and then there's a you know the deluge of news and notifications mm. and things to do and like a low-grade panic sets in mm-hmm. I'm like oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> and I become just immediately Mm. a little less creative, <laughs> a mm-hmm. little less present. Um, it's it's just made such a difference. So I I don't know. I'd invite you to experience that. And mm. then if it makes sense for you or work, just even if you spend 15 minutes before you look at your phone, mm-hmm. don't use it as your alarm clock. <laughs> don't mm. have it in your bed as the first thing you, know, you look at. Mm. Don't check your notifications until you've spent just some time as you, as mm. a human, in the world present in this you know Mm. beautiful gift of a day and uh, yeah see Mm. how it goes Mm. i love the way that you modified (laughs) and improved my question and i (laughs) and i love um you raise a good point which is uh i feel that we characterize the problem of the phone as one of over stimulation, Mm -hmm. but you are sort of flipping that and say, no, it's actually the phone that deadens Mm -hmm. and numbs Mm -hmm. our uh, thought processes. And that is such an excellent point. I really appreciate that. And again, just to your earlier point as well, if for some reason that's impossible for you in the morning, then, you know, it's like no phone while you make dinner or no phone Mm -hmm. when you go on a walk at lunch break. It's like just some time to check in and say, what am I even thinking? Right. Um, Instead of, it's almost like these, 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 the phone, our our phones and especially the social media and the news with, Mm because social media is just dominated by news now anyways, and opinions and anger and outrage. It's like, it's like, it's leading us around by the nose, right? Like just telling us what to think about how to think about it. And we've almost lost any sort of individual thinking at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Or again, the space to imagine. So yes, really well, and, mm, go for it. And, and people ask like, well, are you, are you asking us to sleep less? <laughs> because mm. definitely not. Right. Um, like you said, a sacrifice has to be made, but I would not ever argue for that to be sleep. Mm. Um, once you, I think first you have to discover the magic in the morning for it to be worth the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but eventually, you know, I have found different ways to wind down at night mm. so that I don't give myself the opportunity to waste an hour scrolling or mm-hmm. binging or just doing these things that don't leave you feeling filled. Mm-hmm. And so I go to bed earlier and, and then have, have that extra hour while still mm-hmm. getting the same sleep. Um, mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And again, something that you mentioned quite a bit, um, maybe, maybe more implicitly than explicitly that what it, it's might start as a sacrifice, but what it really is, is a gift. And right. now you only experience it as a gift. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like a sacrifice. It feels like a lightening, a lessening of a burden when you plug your phone in at night. Yes, 100%. Mm. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. So I just want to um, I just want to um, ask two more questions and then we'll wrap up if you have time. Are you okay with yes. that? Okay. No, I'm great. I have, I'm, yeah, I'm good. Okay, good. Well, one thing that I really loved is that 
you suggested that a way we could use this time in the morning is as a time to like sort of gather um gather a a like a written way to bless and affirm um someone else which was such a beautiful suggestion and again i think a lot of this comes down to imagining like what is that relationship that i wish was different and then taking this time to make it different. And um, I did I did want to share a personal experience that I had um, doing something that you suggested and that I had a child that was uh, we just it, we just we just really there was a lot of conflict between us. And looking back now, it's so easy to see why that was there. Um, where we were in our lives, where we were with our each of our mental health uh, status, you know, all of these things. Mm -hmm. But I did make a decision that every day I'm going to just take a journal and every day I'm going to write something that that day specifically I noticed and was proud of and appreciated and could mm. affirm. And uh, that, along with other things, um, completely changed my relationship to this child with this child to the wow. point that, like, I just couldn't even imagine. <laughs> I think if you had asked me before I had children, could a mother and a teenage son be this close? I would have said, no, it's not. It's not possible. And wow. um, so I do want to share that that was something that was so um, such a blessing for me. And I think you mentioned this in the book, the biggest thing was probably not even what I communicated to him, but that I started thinking differently about him. Wow. It changed my thinking about him. And so I was just so thrilled and amazed to see that in your book that you said one of the ways you can spend this time is sort of actively changing your relationship with someone else by not even necessarily engaging with them in conversation. Man, mm -hmm. I just thought that was, wow, such an amazing idea. And again, you gave sort of practical prompts and ways to do that. So I was wondering what what made you have that idea? Have you seen that happen? Have you experienced that in your life? Like, where did you get that that idea to write about that? Yeah, actually, I, I have experienced that. Mm. I, I wrote down every day, you know, because they everyone talks about, oh, morning gratitude. And I think, mm. I think that's great. But what I noticed myself was, you know, <laughs> kind of writing down the same things. Yeah, every day. I've had the same problem. <laughs> kind of like childlike, like I was embarrassed. It's just like what I see, you know, like, oh, I'm mm. grateful for my cat, <laughs> you know, because my cat's always on my lap. Um, and I was like, this isn't that helpful. Um, so I, I started writing down very, specific things about what I was grateful for about my husband not mm. not really prompted by any relationship tension but just because mm. I thought it would be a really beautiful way to invest in our marriage mm. and not with the intention of giving them to him he mm. actually still doesn't know that I do this and they're in oh my desk. wow <laughs> but I just write down I mean very specific things mm. I love the way that Trevor smiles when he's taking care of our animals like he mm. gets so excited around you know we live on a farm he gets Aww. so excited like 
frantically excited about whatever, you know, the little farm animals are doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I love that. But just taking the time again, like the people we're with are these precious gems with so many facets. And how often do we pause and just mm-hmm. celebrate those? Mm-hmm. And I and think I- more. So go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think relationships, for me at least, are actually one of the easier things to despair about and just say, well, it's never mm-hmm. going to get better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for, for most of us, you know. Mm. Um, and yeah, it doesn't even have to be communicated. They don't They don't even need to know you're, you're doing it, but taking the responsibility again for your own thought life. Mm. I love that. All right. Well, I'm going to finish by returning to the food and on a light and fun note. But um, again, one of these little gifts, like I feel like I unwrapped as I made it through the book is that you have um, in the section that you have on brunch and brunch recipes and celebratory times and just the pictures of you and your family. That was your family out there, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, But you had these fun little conversation starters. And so I want to end with one of yours that really, it actually made me laugh out loud. (laughs) Um, And that's this. What is, now this, I was like, this is going to be hard for her because you are someone who really loves breakfast. So what is, (laughs) what is your most unpopular opinion when it comes to breakfast? Okay. I will answer, but can I ask that you also prepare an answer? Because I'd love to hear yours. Oh, I can tell you right now. Oh, tell me, tell me. Oh, I I don't like eggs. <laughs> I don't like eggs. I, I actually, even just last night, I was making um Cobb salads for my family. And one of my nine-year-olds was like, mom, because I boiled eggs for them. And I just, I didn't. And he was like, mom, why don't you like eggs? And I was like, Nicholas, I don't know, but I've tried <laughs> to change it. And I'm at a point in my life where I'm done. <laughs> I just don't <laughs> like eggs. Oh, that's fair. That's there. And we have chickens, so we have so many eggs. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was going to be my actual question. Was like, well, maybe hmm. you know, in, in my head, I was thinking maybe you should try farm fresh eggs. No, we have no, chickens. <laughs> I just don't like them. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, my answer to the question is: I think eggs Benedict is gross. <laughs> oh, really? It's another egg. <laughs> What is it that you don't like? Is it the texture? I like all the parts. Uh, I mean, other than the hollandaise, I I like, you know, I try to make homemade English muffins. I mean, mm. I've invested in making myself like Alex Benedict because I feel like it's important Yeah, Uh, for me as someone who wrote a book about breakfast, (laughs) embrace this, you know, quintessential dish. Um, And no matter what, at the end, I'm like, Oh, this That's is not so interesting. Good. Why did I ruin my beautiful English muffin with this? That's with fascinating. This combination. There you go. I'm thinking you don't have an eggs Benedict recipe, do you? I sure don't. I, <laughs> I never will. <laughs> unless, unless I unless I crack the code. Well, I feel like that absolutely speaks to the authenticity of your book, because it would have been the easiest thing in the world to just pop one in there, um, knowing that other people would like it. But uh, again, actually, this is the perfect way to end, I guess, because it really I just want to emphasize again how much this comes uh, from your heart. And again, it comes as an invitation to us. 
um, to savor, savor the mornings, to savor routine and ritual and to live intentionally and celebratorily. That's not a word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got you. I'm tracking. (laughs) (laughs) And, and again, to, um, to draw nearer to people, whether it's Mm -hmm. through the way that we use our routine, just to to sort of strengthen ourselves to give through the day or to actually um, explicitly encourage others or to, to cook for them. So mm-hmm. what a mm-hmm. great, great, great book. What an accomplishment, Deborah. I'm so, I want to say I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think I'm grateful to you. <laughs> I'm grateful to you because um, this is definitely going to be a treasured book in my home. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm I'm so grateful for this opportunity and I had so much fun chatting with you. Oh, likewise, likewise. All right, I will let you go. Okay, have a good okay. one. Bye. Y- you too, bye-bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen all the way to the end. I do hope that you were nurtured and encouraged by this conversation. As always, whatever your reaction, I love to hear from you at becky at thestoriedrecipe.com. And as always, I will leave you with a personal plea to please leave a five-star review of The Storied Recipe. And to make it easy for you, I've left a link right there in the show notes with the words, leave a review of The Storied Recipe. Simply click that link and you'll be led through the easy, easy process of leaving a review. Thank you so, so much in advance. And of course, also there in the show notes, I've included a link to Deborah's storied recipe, her delicious vegan corn pancakes, and also, of course, a link to buy her book on rising. Thank you all so much for being here and have a great week, my friends.